Welcome back to Jack Howard Keller, the podcast. Today's guest is Susie Bond. Susie has a fantastic career in education here in the USA. And we sit down and we talk about where it started, where she's going, and all the things in between. It's a great episode. I can't wait for you to write in the comments below what you think. Welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. I am really excited today. My guest is Susie Bond. Susie and I go back um, quite a bit, actually, which is really interesting. And we both work together now for L'Oreal Professional USA. Susie is a salon owner of Bond Beauty. For 23 years, you've owned that, Susie, which is pretty incredible. You're a former Goldwell Regional Educator. You've been a L'Oreal Professional USA artist since 2009. And... This year, last year, you became a colour specialist, and this year, you launched Colour Specialist in the USA. So there's lots to talk about in there, but first and foremost, welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, lots to talk about. Long careers. Long careers. We love that. We love longevity to a career. So, Susie, how did you get into hairdressing? Where did it, How did it start for you? It's very hard for me to answer that sometimes because it was on a dare. Get out. <laughs> Literally. So most kids that I went to school with, I went to school, high school in a very, 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 very small area. I graduated with 21 other people and it wasn't private. That was public, but it was farmland. So when anyone wanted to get a job, they went to the pizzeria, the burger joints, the ice cream parlor. And I drove 45 minutes away because I got an opportunity in a bridal salon. So I knew how to sew and I went into sales and I was in the back room altering someone's bridal gown one day and an ad came on the local radio and the owner of the bridal shop said, I dare you to go take the entrance exam to the cosmetology school. And I'm not sure what the entrance exam to anything is in the UK, but here 34 years ago, 35, something like that. I stopped counting after 20. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally this test on if someone were round, like their body were round, would you dress them in all black, vertical stripes, horizontal stripes, or polka dots? (laughs) And the whole test was like that. And really, as long as you could explain your way out of whatever your answer was, they let you in. So it was just a formality of getting into this school. So then I went to cosmetology school as I worked in the bridal shop um, after I went to college for a short stint. So it was really on a dare. And I ended up getting the scholarship foundation who only paid scholarship money to a four-year private school, which is what I had been in. I got them to actually pay my $1,200 US dollars to go to cosmetology school. So I went for free. Well, that's good. It's really interesting to me, though, because I think that so many people come into the industry just straight off. But there's this whole group of people that do other things and then sort of go into it when when they've already tried something else. And there you were in fashion making bridal gowns, which can't be easy at all, and then deciding on a dare to go into hairdressing and look at you now. I know. I really thought that it would just be one of those things that I would do to like stretch my mind and stretch, you know, my perspective on fashion and music. I had gone to Berkeley College of Music and I really just thought it was going to be one of those things that I did as a stretch as opposed to a career. And then Mm. every year that ticked by, I got into something new and something different because the hair industry is so vast. 
and yes. so many different opportunities. You know, when you go through school or an apprenticeship, you pretty much are setting your mind on, okay, this is what I'm going to do when I'm behind the chair. But it really led me down to a path of so many different opportunities. And I think that's why I've been able to stick with it for so long. Cause you know, I do have that see a squirrel, see something shiny and run toward it kind of mentality <laughs> as so many hairdressers do. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, and if it's, if it's shiny, I'm all over it. Um, yeah. What was it, what was it like for you then? So obviously it's a small town, rural, rural part of America. I grew up in the English countryside too. So I, I went to a small town. What was it like for you at cosmetology school then? What did you think of it? Um, it was uh, really a place where you built friendships more than learned about the hair. Not that I didn't learn about hair and skin and all of that, because I'm shocked at how much I do remember from that, especially as I was going through some of my most recent trainings. I was yeah. really shocked that I remembered all of those things from that long ago, but I didn't really look at it. I wasn't really one of those people who was nervous to go on the floor and work on clients because I was like, look, I'm in school. Like I just have always had this thought process about school that it is a place where you can make mistakes because you can, that's the only time in your life when you're like, well, I'm stupid. I don't know anything. That's why I'm here. So I can make all these mm. mistakes. So I just really had a fun time. It's one of my biggest concerns about our industry that there seem to be so many people that are frightened, even in the classrooms, of making mistakes. And of course, the real growth and the real learn is actually from those mistakes, right? If you can look at it and say, well, where did I go wrong? Um, what? Why hasn't this worked out? And then apply that to the next thing that you do and sort of and keep growing and building on it. And I do worry that in this world of where everything has to be curated and perfect, that the people are losing out on huge opportunities. I completely agree. I think what has made me a colorist that I am is that I can fix anything that goes wrong because I made a lot of things not perfect. Yeah, yeah, me too. And you don't necessarily have to fix it that day. I think that's the other thing that that striving for perfection in that moment, like I have you for two hours, I'm going to nail this and it doesn't come out right or it's not perfect, and then your whole day goes crazy, those little tiny nuances that aren't necessarily perfections could be a discovery as well. A great way to look at it. And if you think about it, if we as we talk about this, I always kind of say to a new client, you know, this is the canvas that I've got. It's not a clean canvas. It's like a painting from someone else. And I can mask, I can neutralize, I can subdue, but underneath all of that is somebody else's work. And we have to spend some time together to get you to where I want want it to be. And, I, I you know, it's it's not easy being a colorist. It's not. And then, you know, you've got the converse of that, of the new person who finds you because one of your friends or students or um, relatives or someone recommends them when they move to where you are. And they yeah. just like bring you the piece of paper and they're like, here, can you just put my retouch on and I'm good. And I'm like, well, are you sure you don't want this opportunity to alter, change, update, you know, really let me get my hand? Like, why are you paying me all this money to follow someone else's formula, which I'm grateful for, by the way. I love getting that other formula just yeah. so that I can have some type of history of what has happened on this hair. Right. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I consider it a gift and I'm okay with following it on that first appointment. But I also want to talk about like, what are the what ifs? Like, what if you could have anything you want? You know, why are you just pigeonholing yourself into this one thing? Why are you coming to me? 
There's a lot of people who don't charge as much as I do, who can follow a great formula and I can point them out to you. Like it's just, for me, it's boring, you know, like I just, I just really want that opportunity to have that conversation and maybe do exactly the same thing or give them a slight upgrade. Yeah. I very much when, if somebody comes in with a, a formula, I'm like, okay, we are happy with this at the moment. I'm happy to go with it. But these are the things that I think that we could do. And it's sort of a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think when a person comes to you, generally, if they've moved into the area, that they're nervous. And so it's it's a hard one to navigate. But it's like we don't need to slap the same color on, right? We we are creatives. We want to produce a beautiful piece of work. Absolutely. And going through color specialists, I want to fix what isn't quite perfect. That quite perfect a lot of times is the durability. And I'm like, well, I can kind of help you out with that, you know, if you let me do my thing. <laughs> We're going to get into color special. We're really <laughs> going to get into color specialists. So, so you finished beauty school, as they call it in the US. So you finished cosmetology school. What what do you do then? So where did you go? Um, well, the opportunity in larger areas that are not rural, more of urban areas, is to go into an apprenticeship where you continue to learn and gradually build your skill set. However, I was from a very rural area, so I ended up going into a salon that was near um, the school, and it was a chair rental right away because it was just such a rural area. No one was really employing. Mm. But the great thing is, is that the people who worked there wanted to help me. And I know a lot of places still work like that in the U.S. where you can get mentorship even though you're renting a chair. And it's rare, but it's possible. So mm. I had the salon owner who was young and fun. And then um, she had this great stylist who was a barber from Puerto Rico. And he, Nelson, he was amazing. And he gave me my skills on, you know, running the clippers and clippers and scissors over comb. Like he really mentored me on that. And that is actually where I was plucked to do a little bit of education by the sales consultant who was servicing our salon, which was really funny. So super young, I accidentally got into that. Super young, right? So straight out, going independent, which I think out of beauty school always makes me feel nervous, but fortunate enough to have people around that wanted to mentor you. And mentorship, obviously, is something that runs through your career, either getting mentorship or, and very much so now, of being a mentor. Um, so what was what was the first education gig like then? You must have been super young. What was it? I was, how old was I? Was I 21 yet? No, I was 20. I was 20 and um, working behind the chair. Now to, we'll go with 21. Who cares? I was super young. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the sales consultant said, hey, I would love for you to come to this party at the headquarters in um, upstate New York. And they're having this this big party to celebrate the distributor's anniversary. So I go with him, German company. There was a band there. And he's like, come on in. I want to show you the offices. So I go in and there are these two gentlemen in suits sitting behind a desk. And Jim, my sales consultant, who's the same age as I am, says, here, sit down. And he makes me sit down in the chair. And then these two German guys look at me and they're like, so why do you want to work for us? And I was like, excuse me, what? Thrown <laughs> <laughs> under the bus. Jim did it. He totally did it. He was like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, this is your interview. I'm like, interview for what? Like I've been out of school for a minute. 
And he's like, oh my gosh, with your performing background, I just thought you'd be amazing. So I was, I was shocked. I didn't know what to say. So I just answered their questions from my heart and they put me through training. So talk about, you know, like success by fire. I went and spent six months in basic training camp is what I referred to it as. And it was training for everything. It was cutting and perming back then because it was that long ago um, and how to wrap that perfect perm and things like that. And then I was doing classes at 50 US dollars a class. I had to do 10 of those before I got a raise to $75 a class. And there were times when I would drive six hours one way to get to the class and they weren't paying for hotels. So then I'd teach like a four to six hour class and I'd drive all the way home. And keep in mind, this is upstate New York, the Adirondack Mountains, snow coming from every direction. And my parents were so worried about me all the time. And we didn't have cell phones back then. (laughs) And if we did, they didn't work, you know. So it was quite an experience, quite a growth experience. And then one of the artists who was actually from the UK, who was on a big stage in Niagara Falls, probably about eight to 10 months into me doing that, um, was sick. And so I went on stage with Jonathan Webb, which I think he's still around. And I was just in awe. So he was the designer and I was just supposed to be like supporting with color. Can I just say that's how it was? It is. Because color was the color was the support. It wasn't the key. It wasn't the, the most important thing. No. And they were like, don't worry about it basically go out there and look cute and color some hair. He won't even talk to you. But I was mic'd up and I had done preparations with him the whole day before. So we got to know each other a little bit, you know, just kind of joking around. He was my age. He was maybe two years older. He and his family, whole family full of hairdressers, talk about pressure. His dad was there. They owned like schools in the UK and then they opened one in Rochester, New York. And just a ton of pressure, but they're like, don't worry, he won't even talk to you. Well, since we had been all chit chatty the day before, he immediately starts asking me questions and what are you doing? So from then on, they paid me the big bucks and I worked the larger stages because they couldn't believe I could hold my own. And I was like, don't you guys remember I came from a performing background, but I was nervous as can be. So I'm super thankful for Jonathan because he made it very conversational. And I will say this, I think he started me on that path of not being fearful of speaking in front of people because he made it so conversational. All I can think of now is every time I'm talking with hairdressers, we're just a group of hairdressers. Like we all do the same things. And it's just this, we learn from each other. We don't have to worry about, you know, who's better than who. No one's better than anyone. Some people are just more experienced in certain things than other people. And we're just sharing, just sharing things. I think that's an amazing opportunity um, to have been given by obviously a very good platform artist. Because so often in earlier in my career, and I'm not going to name names, but I can remember being sort of put down on stage by the the cutter who was more experienced and spoken to in an inappropriate way on stage because some of the artists uh, at that period were very sort of cavalier and there was quite a lot of misogyny and homophobia sort of in in their conversations and so to have somebody who obviously was super confident about what they did and their background was education to give you that opportunity on stage and to encourage you and to 
nurture you um, and allow you to be you. I think it's just such a wonderful story. And I'm, I'm so pleased to hear that. He, I think that that family experience and I was on stage with him multiple times after that, just randomly through different experiences and jobs. I think their family of running the the schools or the academy space, it was just their nature to, yes. you know, be endearing and want people to be successful because they that's what they taught people is, you know, how to be successful in whatever you're doing. So it it was really a great opportunity. And and I've had mentors like that throughout everything that I've ever done, but super grateful for that very first experience because I had been on stage at Berkeley College of Music, nervous to the core, audience of 3000, taking a test, a literal singing test in a concert. That was super nerve wracking. And I had never talked about hair in front of a large group of people. Yeah. So, you know, you get comfortable in the thing that you're good at doing, but then you give me content that I'm new at. And it was so nerve wracking. And now I can do new content. And I just, as is it, like, look, dude, this is the first time I've been doing this. How's everybody feeling? You know, so you just as is it up front. And then no one has that opportunity to hold that against you. And I do that with clients, too. So, you know, when you take it back to behind the chair and you say, not that you're new at it, but you're you're really working your way through this experience and that you love new opportunities. And I would love to try that on you. I've done it on mannequins. I've done it on a few people but I'd like to customize this just for you. And that way you're kind of as ising that this is a new thing and that you're relishing the opportunity as opposed to being fearful of something being new. Yes. The fear, the fear can hold you back. That's for sure. It can. But, but I love the approach to it. It's like, this is me. This is how I do it. This, this is new to me or, you know, that, that honesty um, rather than this is the way that you should do it. This is the way. I do it. This is why I do it. You know, that the whys and the ifs. So I, I love that. And it's very much how I kind of sit. So no wonder we get on so well. Um, <laughs> obviously, that part of the career, a pretty amazing, right, story for you. And, but your Bomb Beauty, the salon, you opened that as well. How, how long were you into the career when you decided to open the salon? Well, my first salon was actually still in central New York with um, a partner who actually moved here to North Carolina years after I did. So we opened a salon. Um, I was only about a year and a half, maybe two years out of school when we opened. And then I had an opportunity to move to the South. And so I had the regional education manager position with a manufacturer and we had a direct sales and education force in North Carolina and Tennessee, all, and then um, an independent distributorship education force all the way south. So it was North Carolina and Tennessee, which on the East Coast divides the uh, country from top to bottom. So it's a horizontal line. And my territory was everything south of that. So um, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, North Florida, South Florida, and uh, the Cayman Islands and Puerto Rico. So I oh. was never home. <laughs> I was always somewhere. And what a great experience. I went through like management training and things like that. And then um, when I didn't want to be employed in that way anymore, I went to one of the largest salons near me, which was like a 45 minute drive. 
so that I could use that brand that I was familiar with because I had done all the education for them for about three years. So I knew the whole team. It was super easy transition. And then because it was a 45 minute drive, I wanted to work a little closer to home and there wasn't a place for me to go. So that was actually the spark that opened that salon. Mm -hmm. And I rented an old house and just started doing my own thing there. And I've, you know, moved locations, but the salon has been consistent. So it's 23 years right now. It'll be 24 in April that I've owned it, even changed the name and rebranded twice, changed the name once, rebranded twice, because, you know, there's that statistic in the industry that about every five years, you should do some kind of a remodel in your business. And when I really looked at things, it didn't speak to who I was anymore, what my vibe was or my culture that I yes. really wanted to portray. So that's when because, I changed it up. Because as we grow, things change, right? And we change. And so why would a business model stay the same? I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And it has, the, the whole model has changed throughout the years. I would say the last 15 years, it's been really solid as far as the business model. But I really needed to change the vibe and bring in a little bit different culture um, a few years ago. And that's when it became Bond Beauty. I think that's been about eight years because someone said to me, you've got this great famous name. Not that I'm famous, but the name Bond is famous. Yes. And you've got, this, you've got this great famous name that you were born with and you've got a completely different name on your business. And I was like, well, you kind of have a point there. So yeah, that was hence the name change. Plus, you know, just an identity of it's me. That's my corporation that people hire is Bond Incorporated. And then Bond Beauty is the actual salon. So, you know, just kind of like tied it all together. And my dad was really famous in his industry with that same last name. So it was kind of a moment of being proud for my parents, too. It's like, yes, our name is still on a business. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So in 2009, I left the USA and went back to the UK. And that was the year that you joined Laurel Professional US. And I can remember talking to Kate O'Shell and she was so excited about you coming on board. I think there could be a lot of people listening who might be working with a brand and want to make the switch. And it's very nerve wracking, I found. And it's it's quite a big leap of faith to to move ship. How was that for you? Well, it was that. Remember that nervous on stage thing? You know, it was new content, right? So I had switched color brands in the salon. So first I had Siri Expair and Texture Expair, which is now Siri Expair and Technique Art, right? So I brought the retail in first because I just wanted something that was very consistent and could treat all hair types, textures, and formations. And kind of speak to the guest, because I think that L'Oreal Professional was bringing that self-diagnosis to our guests, to the professional salon's retail shelves. So that was like the beginning of really having a guest come in and diagnose themselves. And then I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. I used L'Oreal, I used Majorelle for a nanosecond in that first salon. And I was like, I know it's a great brand. Let's be consistent. Let's carry the entire brand through. And um, the VP of education walked into the salon because Kate told him to. He was in North Carolina visiting other salons. I almost passed out because I had known him for years. I couldn't believe he was standing in my building. He's like, I'd really like you to come to 
this training that we do every year in Atlanta. It's a four-hour drive. We'll pay for your hotel room. Just come like check it out, see what it's all about. Next thing I know, apparently I like bring these things onto myself. I'm standing on stage auditioning in front of the top guns, in including top guns who are still with the brand today. Kate was one of them. It was Andrew Bartfield. Um, Andrew. Vincent. God bless Andrew, right? I know. And Andrew's the one that walked into my salon. Yeah. Um, so hence the, you know, the passing out. Um, Vincent and Joe Blackwell Preston yeah. was there and we had known each other for years. And they throw me on stage with someone who's never presented in their life. And they said, your goal is to make her feel comfortable. And I was like, oh, I got this. <laughs> I got this. That's how I was brought on stage too, right? Yes. So, um, you know, I thought I was just there like helping out. And it ended up that um, it was an audition. It's funny how life goes. How like do that. I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> I know, right? Well, yeah. So that's how I was brought on. And then I told um, Kate that I needed to sleep with this watch book a little bit longer. And two weeks later, I was in Florida doing my first class, Nervous Wreck. And they, Kate and Andrew both said to me, make it about technique. And I said, but that's not what people know about me in this industry. They know I'm a formulation guru. Yes. And I was like, the geek. but I don't know what I'm doing yet. The geek, <laughs> the right? The geek. Yes. So yeah, I worked my way through it and uh, it was great. Love that salon. They've had me back several times since then. And again, I as is it in the front of them. I was like, I knew that salon from the other brand that I worked for. So I was like, hey guys, I know you're not new at this because you switched a long time ago. I am. So forgive me if I don't know all the lingo yet, but let's talk about these techniques and I'll do my best to get through the other things. And any questions I don't know, I'll find the answers out. We're good. There's a confidence to this, Susie, that there is a willingness to be open about not knowing, a willingness to share where you're at in the moment. And I think that's quite rare in an artist. Usually the artist kind of want to be able to answer everything. But this vulnerability that you bring to the table is very, very refreshing. It, You know, I've done it for years because it relaxes my nerves. So it's very self-serving, even though it might look great to the people I'm saying to, it's total self-serving. Um, there was about the third time I was ever on a big stage. And when I say a big stage, the audience was probably about 2000 people in the yeah. hair industry, which is huge. Like, you know, people in the back can't see anything. They have to look at the big screens. And I and also was, you can't see anything either because no, the I lights can't are see right anything. in your face. Right? Right. So it's like, oh. You can barely see the front row, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're just talking into, you know, nothing into crickets. And I was super nervous about going on the stage. And I asked the production manager, I said, how would you feel if we entered from the back of the house and walked down the aisle and up the catwalk? And he was like, yeah, we haven't done that before. But if you want to do that, we can totally do that. And some of my working partners said to me, like, I've never done this. Why do you want to do this? And I said, you don't understand. We literally will be standing right next to people all the way up the aisle so that we are part of them. And by the time we get on stage, we can say we saw some faces. Because to your point, Jack, you can't see anything when you're on a yeah. stage that big. You know, yeah. so I've I've always treated my experiences as, you know, I don't like to be just thrown out there and introduced without maybe meeting and greeting at the door. Like I can, I can do that. I can do the acting part of the job as well, but I prefer to be one of everybody. It's much more 
confidence building for me to be part of a team and to consider that entire audience part of my team. And, you know, hopefully that comes across in everything I do, including social media. It's not like I know more than you do. It's more like, hey, let me show you this. And hopefully you can comment and tell me, you know, how that works for you. And I know you do that too. Like, I think you, you are a large part of how I am on social media because you are so conversational with everything. Well, thank you. I I think the similarities keep hitting me, right? Because I, I'm not a big, I, I don't mind doing stage work and I think it's great and it serves a purpose and there are opportunities in it, but I, it's the connection of, with, with people who are participating with you that is really, really important to me. And I, I love a room where I can see the faces. And so that idea of walking through the audience and sort of getting everyone to kind of see you and being able to look in people's eyes and say hi and all of that, that is a great way to connect with a room that you can't see on stage. Yeah. It really is. And it's so funny because so many people will say to me after the fact, I had no idea you were so short <laughs> until you walked through the audience. <laughs> I'm like, um, I don't think that's a compliment, but I think it just speaks to the realistic part where they're like, I see you're an actual human being and not a robot who can just, you know, whip out a head of hair on stage kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Lots of people say to me that they always thought I was going to be about five foot six because of Instagram, right? And here I am at six foot three. So it, it's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> I love that. Well, they always think I'm six foot three and I'm five two. So <laughs> but you've, got that, you've got that strong personality, right? And that and the red hair is always you've always been a redhead to me. I don't think I've ever seen you blonde. My natural color is blonde. That's why I can claim I'm a little dingy once in a while because my roots are blonde. Um, but yeah, I have been a couple of times, but I tend to stay red every once in a while. I'll go to the dark side and make it super dark chocolate. Um, but recently it's only been wigs when you see me with really dark hair. Um, cause I love playing with, um, people. I'll get all these text messages and these DMS like, Oh my God, when did you go dark? And I'm like, well, it's not really me. That's a wig. And you know, I love this day and age where all of those things are accepted and costumes are fun. You know, costumes are great. I love getting dressed. Do you know what I mean? I love it. I love playing with my hair. I love that whole thing. I can create the characters that I want to do. Now, the geek in you, right? I know that you're super geeky. If I've got a quick question, I can tap to you. I've got a number of geeks on speed dial on my phone um, because I'm not a geeky colorist, really. I'm quite a an emotional colorist. It's always feelings for me. Obviously, I know my stuff, but it, it's hard, much harder for me to study like that. And um, and I always admire geeks. But the, your geekdom has gone to a whole new level, right? So, um, yeah, last year in 2021, Laurel Professional brought USA, brought color specialist to the USA. It's a brand new program. It's a program that I did in the UK in 2014. And honest to God, when I did that, I I used to want to jump out the window every Monday evening or Tuesday morning because I found it so hard. And I had an awful lot of stuff going on in my life as well. And, and I look back on it. And Bev Rowe, who ran the program in, in the UK, used to say to me, you've got this, don't worry about it. But I found it hard. But how did, right? And I, I went to it with... Americanized. So I had all these American things. Like I do a permanent hair color and a, a gloss on the mid shafts and ends, right? And then suddenly 
in this program, I was being told to do it totally different. I'm like, I can't get my head around this, can't get my head around this. What was it like? First of all, how did it, when they offered it, were you, were you like, yeah, I want to do this? What did that feel like? Were you excited? So, then, <laughs> it's, it's like a three-part it was question. Funny. And then what was it like in the classroom when Ruby and the guys are bringing it and Charlotte are bringing it to you and you're just like, tell me, spill the beans. Yeah. Okay. So um, the the tea runs deep. So I got a phone I love call. That. <laughs> it totally runs deep. Um, <laughs> I've received a phone call. You know, whenever whenever you work for a manufacturer and the vice president of anything dials your cell phone, you pick it up. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be in the middle of the shower. You could be like having color all over you with the most famous client on the planet, and you're like, "Excuse me, one minute. I have to take this phone call." So that happened and said, hey, we're going to do this program for just like a few of you, you know, kind of, you know, have every, it's all virtual because, you know, the United States is huge. So we can't come together every week like you do in London because it's a smaller logistical. So for us, it's a logistical nightmare. So some of it had to be done virtually and we're going to give this a shot. You know, we'd really love for you to go through it. The intention was to get to the other side, not for me to teach it or anything like that. It was just like, enjoy the program. And I was like, yeah. And when they told me how much money it normally costs and how long it takes, I was like, okay. Um, and I had some issues with the schedule and they're like, nope, you have to, like, you just have to do this full on. I was like, okay, whatever. So one thing that, um, I don't know if you know this about me or not, Jack, but four years ago, I finished my college degree in business. And it was all virtual, like everything was online. So I really had this virtual learning thing on. So I was like, oh, this is nothing. I mean, I know hair color, so I can literally probably be like, mistake number one, you know, death by fire. That's me. Like, let's get in there. So I'm like, oh, I can probably like book appointments, return emails, paint my nails while I'm just listening to this. Oh no. Oh no. What a wake up call. And as you I'm in the U.S. where we can put all the things on the hair at the same time. Like, it's totally legal and nobody yells at us about it. Yeah. You know, we can do all the different colors at the same time, different brands, not brands outside of L'Oreal, but all of our things inside of the brand. And they kept saying, no, we're talking Majorelle and we're only talking Majorelle. And then what would you do to the mid lengths and ends? Wrong, wrong. We're all wrong. Everybody's wrong. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right. So this is what I have to wrap my head around. You have to get to the other side, put everything, you know, in a box, hold it near and dear to your heart because you know it for a reason and focus. They're telling you to do it like this. You're going to pass the quiz and you're going to do it correctly. And then you're going to do whatever you want when you're done with this class. And that was my other mistake. <laughs> That's how you started, right? That's, <laughs> That's how, how I started. started. I'm like, I'm going to play your game your way. And I'm going to do what I want. and then. I would stand behind the chair and I'd have these voices in my head. You know, I've got Victoria in there and I've got Ruby in there and I've got Charlotte in there. And they're like, no, you're supposed to do it this way. You're supposed to do it this way. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll try it your way. Just this one time, I'll do it your way. And oh, all of the lights went off. My client was over the moon. I couldn't believe it made such a big difference. And now, of course... I do a combination of both because it is okay to put those, you know, the Majorelle and the Deolite on the ends. However, the science behind it and the theory behind it is such a larger mountain 
than it was before. And I feel like I'm standing on top of the mountain, not halfway up the mountain. Yeah, very much so, right? There's this, when you, for me, I didn't have the common sense to say what you know, put it in a box, right? I'm like, okay, uh, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> and, but at the end of it, when you come out of it, obviously there are things that you do commercially for, you know, whatever you need to do commercially. And then there are the technical pieces of it that have stood me in good stead all the way through. I mean, DOP, distribution of pigment, guys, was a massive one for me, you know, and it was like, why do I, why am I struggling with to get the lift in this, say? And I'm like, oh, that's why, that makes perfect sense to me. You know, there are all these brilliant nuggets and workarounds and all to get that perfect, perfect color. And here's the best part for me. When people ask me to describe this program, I, it's very hard to put it in a few short words, but here's the thing. When you're done with this program, you can nail it on the first appointment instead of waiting for those realizations and those ahas and, oh, her hair didn't lift. Now I have to make a, a judgment call and I have to change my formulation. I can actually foresee it because- yes. I can recognize that distribution of pigment on the front end. So yes. I can nail it the first time, get the durability, get the target color without compromising the hair and without compromising what she wants. You know, so all those folks who are out there thinking, well, you know, is that, you know, nine point whatever going to tone that blonde that didn't get all the way to that pale, 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 pale yellow? Well, if you knew more about the science of the hair, which is what fascinates me so much, you would know that on the front end that you should have upped your product capabilities and you could have possibly gotten her there. Or worst case scenario, you can tell her her hair won't get there before you even get started. Yes. And you could be really, really clear in yourself about what you're saying, right? Because you own it. Yes, I love that. Absolutely. I, love what, I love what that gives you. Um, so you get yourself through the course and yes. you get through it. And I know that Victoria and Ruby and Charlotte, I mean, they're, I, I love them to death. They're, they're fantastic. Um, and you get through it. Did you know that you were going to be part of the team that were bringing it to the USA? Not right away. Um, I, I, you know, we were all teachers, so it was some full-time education um, people. It was some of the artist team and then some of our management team. So, I mean, the writing was on the wall that it was eventually going to happen, but I didn't think it would be this quickly because of the logistical situation. You know, yeah. like, you know, so in the UK, you have 15 visits to London every one every week. We're like, well, we have an academy in New York and one in L.A. now. How in the world could people afford to do this? So I knew some of it was going to be virtual, but I had no idea. Even in the U.K., it was hard. For, I mean, I lived in London, so it was easy for me to get to the academy. But for a lot of people, it was they had to come up the night before. And it, it's a commitment, right, to, to do the program itself is an actual commitment a massive commitment and of course it's so well established in the uk that people are desperate to get on it because it's you know it's an elite group of people that that come through that program yeah we just had um 19 graduate on this first one yes yeah, so this year has been the first year and the very first people, year 
Yeah. So much, so much excitement about it. It's such a commitment. Um, but it's a, it's a commitment to elevate your career to a level that you would never be able to elevate it to in the time that it takes you to go through this course. So, you know, that's the thing, like the only way that you would ever know this information literally is to take the course. You're not just going to happen upon it. It's not going to be, you know, a 10 minute Instagram class. You have to enroll in this course. This is like taking a college certification course. But I, I always look at it as my de- my color degree, right? I call it, it my is. color degree. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's part in person. So you do have some travel expenses. You have the expense of actually paying for the class. And then the really big expense that I think everyone who just went through it was the time. So doing the homework, studying, you actually have to pass tests. And really, it's not a point to be nervous about passing the test or even taking the tests and the exams and the quizzes. It's more about getting through that experience so that you can evaluate, am I getting it? Do I need extra help? Yes. You know, so it, it really the, is. The help is I'm, there as well, right? The oh, 100%. 100%. I'm on speed dial of most everybody. Yes. Do a group WhatsApp for everyone. Is there everyone on a group WhatsApp so they could kind of like, you know. They um they decided that they would do a Facebook group. Oh, cool. Which how, was however, great. however you need it, right? I um, think they had, I think you're right. They had a, a group like WhatsApp or text as well without the uh, facilitators. And yeah. then we were on the Facebook thing where they, so they could tag us and ask us for clarification on things if like all 19 people were super confused on something. And then we would just say, great, we'll review that when we're in our class again this week. So that was really great. And how many weeks is it over? So this year, how many weeks did you do it? Was it every so, week or did you spread it throughout? How did it How did it operate? I can't remember. Good question. So um, yeah, it is a little complicated, but not really when you're in it. So we start out with two days live at one of the academies. So this past one was two days in New York, and then we end it with two days in LA. That's being reversed this year just for, you know, logistical what's available. So we start at the Pro Lab um, the end of February, and oh, we very, end in New York. Very, very sexy start at the Pro Lab, right? I mean, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> I oh, my know, God. right? Yeah. You get to go there first, right? And I love the end of February. I'm very grateful that it's in California and not New York for the weather. <laughs> Yes. So I think that's brilliant. And then there are um, six virtual sessions that are spread out and we end in New York the beginning of August. So it's very spread out. Um, the last one was four months and we went approximately every other week. This one has a little more grace in between to get some of the work done. And it was more about scheduling around, you know, industry events and things that some of us were already scheduled to do than it is, you know, our, our group did an amazing job at that two week schedule. So it had nothing to do with the students needing more time. It was more about what logistically fit into the schedule of the brand so that these next round of people get a little more time in between. Um, I hope that they use it wisely and they don't wait and cram the night before because it is a lot of work. <laughs> okay, let me ask you, did you cram the night before or were you, did you, because the recommendation for me in the UK was that every morning get up an hour early and do a little bit and then you're not swamped on the Sunday before the Monday. Guess what I did? The Sunday before the Monday. <laughs> I was the Sunday before the Monday. I'd spent all day. 
at the dining room table and I'd just be like, oh my God, what am I doing? Next week I'll do it better. And of course, I'm just, just not like that. And so I had to get on with it. What did you do? Um, I did a combination of both. So we broke off into some little mini study groups because we have so many time zones in the U.S. We would do study groups by um, not only by time zone, but by who was up early. So, you know, like if we were up super early, we did just the East Coast kind of thing. And then we would get on on either like Friday, Saturday or Sunday with like individual little groups. We would like set up a Zoom and get on with like three people or whatever. And try to like iron some things out. So it really does help with the study groups. Um, and I tried to do stuff in between, but there are just sometimes my days are 14 hours long already. So I don't have an extra minute. So I, and of course I'm teaching on the weekend. So it's not like I have my Sundays free. A lot of times I'm traveling, prepping, Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's one of those things where I would sneak it in whenever I could. So I had a combination of cram sessions and late night, stay up. I'd be up until like four o'clock in the morning on a Thursday just to get it done before that Monday. And remember remember when we were in London this year, and of course I was presenting to the color specialist and I'm like, oh my God, do you remember? And the, the room, the whole room laughed because everybody goes through this emotional journey on it. And totally. it, it, it wasn't just me. It was like, no. it was the whole room. And, and the whole room like, of what, 22 years of graduates. It wasn't yeah. just people who went through it with you or with me. It was 22 years of people who yeah. were like, oh, my God, it's the the vibe and that journey is the same no matter when you go through it. You have these yeah. really incredible highs and incredible lows. And hopefully we all like live in the middle. Absolutely. And I always found and I know that I've certainly seen that on Instagram with with you and the team that there are always people there while you're on that that are helping you and supporting you. You're not you're not isolated on it. There is a there's a phone call away to kind of get you through that difficult moment because studying isn't easy and you have to apply yourself and you know you have to do the work to get through it. But I thought it was well worth it. Yeah. And some of the friendships that have come out of that were absolutely amazing. And I couldn't believe how tight everyone was considering that six of those classes were virtual. Yes. They were super, super tight and and helping each other. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked that the next person that gets married has a bunch of color specialists as guests, you know, that they would not have known if they didn't go through this experience together. How many of us are there now in the USA? Now, obviously, I'm a foreign one because I got it in in England, but I still count myself as, as an American one. So I'm one. How many are there now? I think you would be number 26. So there's the small group of us that went through it who are now facilitating it. And then I think you, I think, I think that about six people um, graduated with that. Now, some of our full-time employees, the managers may not have like graduated because they were there to plan, not necessarily to take it, you know, so they wanted to kind of plan. So, um, you know, and of course, Darren's here and he is UK as well. So I guess 27, if you count Darren, we, I we think that's what our number it, is. Right. Yeah. The VP of education. <laughs> I Well, since since he's the one that let us do this and brought yeah. it to the country. Yeah, I think we should yeah. probably I love count him. He's actually a hairdresser and still practices. I think that's brilliant. Um, Susie, so for next year, how many times are, is, are we running color specialists? What are we? 
are are you and the team running color specialists twice or is it once or how many opportunities are there right now we just have this one course um on the menu there could be another one added but you know it is a logistical challenge so right now we just have the one there could be another one added um i I don't think we're ever going to have a ton of them because it's such an exclusive class. Like you really, you really need to be ready for it. So I'm going to throw this in there just so that we can say that I said it in preparation for color specialist. I personally highly recommend that you are experienced in L'Oreal professional color behind the chair that you do color on a regular basis and maybe not have retired and just become a salon owner because you want to really be practicing to learn. And having gone through color ambassador in the U.S. and color certification in the U.S. will set you up for the best success. It's not required, yet I highly recommend it. And there are people who can bypass that recommendation because, you know, maybe they are facilitators already or maybe they you know, have a different experience that gives them the same lessons. However, that really is the best path to go through ambassador certification and then color specialist and to not rush it. Like it's okay. I didn't take color specialist until my 32nd year in the industry. So it's not something that if you don't do it this time, it's going to go away. It's here to stay. It's been around for 22 years. There are only a little over 2,000 color specialists in the world right at the moment. So it's okay. Take your time. Enjoy your journey. And put this on your list of things to do. And if you feel you're ready right now, hurry up because there are only 20 feet. (laughs) I love it. And I just want to say that case study hell, that's case study hell really sets you up for those busy days when you're like, I can't think, I can't think. And you do the case study and it's like, oh my God, all that information you just put down on a piece of paper and it's like, boom, simple. Case studies, killers, but absolutely so worthwhile. Yes, absolutely. And I got to be the ringleader of the case studies on this past facilitation. So let me tell you, did I not learn this program inside out, upside down, backwards, forwards, I cried about it. I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm like, no, you can do this. It's just math. I can do math. I know how to basic hairdresser math. Listen, if you can add your tips up at the end of the day, you can do math, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Susie, thank you so much for coming on. I just wanted to say on a personal note, I love your glasses, by the way. Ways. That's oh, fantastic. Thank you. They, they are my old person glasses. I have contacts on behind these. <laughs> no, I think they're gorgeous. I love the shape of them and the color of them as well. Thank you for coming on today and sharing your story with us and also sharing where you're going now with this whole color specialist thing, which is a super exciting program. Again, thanks so much. I can't wait to see what you do next because I think you're the kind of person that's just going to keep pushing and doing and going. And I love that about you. I think I should probably, I'll be inducted by fire again, but I'll put it out into the universe that I'd like to develop the next part of Color Specialist with a team of people. Oh, all right. Right? We need a follow-up plan, right? You got to put it out there. (laughs) Got to put it out there. Thanks so much for joining us today, Susie. Thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. 
And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C O L O R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor.com. 